Well, good evening. We are starting a new book, and the elders have graciously taken a risk to allow me to do that. So, like them, uh, we've been traveling. Lisa and I were in Israel a few days and then Ukraine, seeing what the Lord is doing amongst Russian believers uh, and saving them, too, even down in Beersheba. We went to a Russian-speaking church and there to Ukraine, a lot of Russians, and uh, was able to teach the book of Philippians for a week, and it was really great. So if I get tired and slip up, Philippians will come out tonight, right? <laughs> but anyway, I turned the lights off because I have a few slides, more than normal, more, about every one of them is more than Mark has normally, right? You're not a PowerPoint guy. I'm the prince and PowerPoint of the year. So anyway, um, this is a great book. I love it. It's just just tremendous. It's got prophecies of Jesus' first coming, his second coming. But even so, it has a ton of practical stuff for us. So this little book is tucked away back in the Old Testament right before Malachi, and it's not preached on very often. I mean, when's the last time you heard a sermon from Zechariah? It's probably been a long time, and uh, it's just loaded with nuggets of truth. Uh, I think you'll be excited. There's visions, there's prophecy, there's uh, judgment, there's salvation, first and second coming of Christ, there's poetry, uh, narrative, there's even drama. There'll be a couple of occasions where we will be acting out a scene on the stage here as Zechariah acted it out in front of the Israelites. So drama even is involved. Um, great prophecies about Judas, about the triumphal entry, about Jesus' second coming. I know you'll like it. Zechariah is normally little known other than Isaiah. It has more prophecy than any Old Testament book. Most people don't realize that, even more than Daniel. And just because of Isaiah's length, it contains the most prophecy. But Zechariah is second to that. Even though it's a minor prophet, it contains great things for the church even today. For Israel, for the church, and minor only in size, not in importance. We know that, as Brother Mark has told us in study of minor prophets. While there are a couple challenging texts, they should not be frustrating or avoided. Remember, God doesn't write the Bible and then sit in heaven and go, ha ha, they'll never figure that one out. That's not his point. If we do a little bit of study, use some good resources and cross-references, even just a couple little minor challenging issues we'll be able to settle. Like Daniel and Revelation and Isaiah God wants us to understand this book. And so I think we can grasp the flow of it and grasp all of the major messages with ease. Well, we can do it. Let's put it that way. Now, let me get this little flipper here going. And you see Zechariah took a selfie, right? No, I'm just kidding. All right. So. Here, I sum up the book. I mean, you know, as with any books, you know, depending on the commentator, how many times you read it, and which angle you're coming at, you come up with a different idea as to a title or the flow or what the major points would be. I think this is a good one. The king is coming, and he did. The king is coming, he will. The first and second comings of Christ are clearly, clearly portrayed in this book. Now, you know God was with the Israelites, right? Ever since they became a nation, to have a nation, you've got to have a land, a people, and a constitution. Well, they had a people, then they had a constitution at Mount Sinai, and then they were headed toward the land that they would get. The constitution was the, the law and all the commandments. And uh, so God was with them. We know that story from way back. He was in the pillar of fire. He was in the cloud by night. They crossed over the Jordan River. They inherited the land under Joshua and the conquest. We're familiar with all those great stories. Really, the Old Testament is the story of the mighty acts of God. 
So that's what we're reading. God's with them, and he's doing everything he said he would promise, that he promised. But I don't know if you can see it. Can you all read that from where you are? If not, move forward or turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. As early as Deuteronomy 4, they're getting ready to cross into the land of Israel. Listen to this. When you become the father of children and children's children and have remained long on the land and act corruptly, whoa, as early as Deuteronomy 4, God says, you stink. That's my paraphrase. You're, you're, you're bad already before you even get there. And make an idol in the form of anything and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. It's not if you. It's when you do it. God already knows they're going to do it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live long on the land, but will utterly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the people. You will be few left in number to where the Lord drives you. Whoa. That's the rest of the Old Testament. The Assyrians come in, take the northern tribes. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, takes the southern tribes. That early in the Old Testament. Not only that, a few chapters later in Deuteronomy 28, God says this in verse 63, It shall come about as the Lord delighted over you and prospered you and multiplied you, so the Lord will delight over you and make you perish and destroy you. Oh, Look at all that God has done. Wait, you act bad, he's going to take it away. Because he had, this was his covenant people. And they had to obey the covenant stipulations. And he says, you will be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods, wood, stone, which you or your fathers have not known. And Mike alluded to that this morning. The Jews have served idols in the land and outside of the land. Look at the European Jews in the last few hundred years. They have idols. So, no shock. God says, I'm going to get you off the land. And when I send you away, there you're going to pick up the customs of the nations and you'll even act more corruptly. Wow. So the Lord kept warning them through his prophets. See, there it is. And then we come to the prophets. Really, you can sum up the Old Testament this way. The law, the first five books. Then you have historical books. Joshua, Judges, Kings, Chronicles, Samuel. This is talking about how Israel applied the law in the land. Then you have wisdom literature. Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Job, Song of Solomon. Those are wisdom books. That's how you apply the law to life. So you have law, how they lived it out, how you're supposed to apply the law to life, and then you have the law policemen, the prophets. Woo, 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 you broke the law. So all these prophets, God has them generation after generation, and they're just screaming, look, you broke the law, you broke the law. That's how you can sum up the whole Old Testament in a couple sentences. And that's what they did. You're going to be punished if you mess up. You're going to be punished if you sin against your God, who's given you so much. So listen to the report. Well, I mean, just think about how good God was in the land. He delivered them. There were miracles, the Elijah, Elisha stories, all those things. He gave them a kingdom and a king. They wanted Saul, but they ended up getting David. And the land was... Uh, prospering and then comes Solomon the land even grows and the people are experiencing these incredible years of prosperity under Solomon and they lived happily ever after right no his son you know this beautiful temple that people from all over the globe came to see you got to contrast these things when you read the Bible God's goodness and their badness all right so then Solomon's sons come, and they split the kingdom in half, ten tribes in the north. Oh, yeah, 
we'll get taxed too much, you know. We don't want to go to Jerusalem. So they go and make a nation in the north called Israel. And then God just told them time and time again, if you don't listen, the Assyrians are going to get you. Listen to this. Listen to this. And I'm just going to paraphrase passages from 2 Kings 17, just the whole chapter. I'm just going to pick out a couple lines. The king of Assyria invaded the land. The king of Assyria captured Samaria. And he carried Israel away into exile to Assyria. Yet they did not turn. And it goes on and describes the atrocities that the Assyrians put on the Israelites. Yet, in verse 13, the Lord warned Israel and Judah through his prophets. All right. This is background to the book of Zechariah. Israel gets captured first, right? Capital city, Samaria, is ransacked. Just horrible things are done to Israel in the north. So Judah and Benjamin, the southern two tribes, they would learn a lesson, correct? Look what happened to our brothers in the north. We better obey the Lord. They didn't listen. They didn't learn. They didn't pay attention. So verse 19, So Judah did not keep the commandments of their Lord, but walked in the customs which Israel had introduced. Oh, my goodness. Matter of fact, when you read the book of Ezekiel, it says that Judah was so bad after the northern tribes were taken, they caused the Philistines to blush. That's literal in the book of Ezekiel. And it says Judah was more wicked than her sister and Sodom and Gomorrah. So... You have to remember this when Jesus comes in Matthew to save the people, how bad they were. Remember, Zechariah is now at the end of the Old Testament. So are you with me? I'm painting a really bad picture, but it's going to get gooder, I promise. All right, gooder is bad English, good Greek. Okay? So whole chapters dedicated in the Old Testament to the ten tribes are bad. They got squashed. Learn a lesson they can't do it, okay? So as Syria comes, invades the land, no difference does it make in Judah, okay? So what do you think happens? By the way, all this is recorded in First and Second Kings. They parallel each other. And the kings of Judah, you can read about them in First and Second Chronicles. That's how the Old Testament works. First and Second Kings talks about all of the kings in the north and the south. I mean... First and Second Kings talks about all the kings in the north and the south. First and Second Chronicles describes the kings of Judah and how bad they got. And so they did not listen. The Lord raises up somebody else. Who's that? This is informal, so you can talk back. The Babylonians. All right? Judah won't listen. So here come the Babylonians. In 586, they burn Jerusalem. And they are gone. Yikes. It didn't have to be that way. So, Daniel goes to captivity. Ezekiel, many, many others. Jeremiah says this. Listen to what Jeremiah said just prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in Jeremiah 21.10. For I set my face against this city for harm and not for good. Jesus would not be a good tele-evangelist, would he? This doesn't sound like Joel Olstein. I've set my face against you for harm. So sin was serious in God's house. It will be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire. And, of course, that's what happened. Did you see that, the burned houses in Jerusalem when you were there? Evidence of what Nebuchadnezzar did. So... As is common in all the prophets, along with the promises come judgments and restoration. Did you hear that? 
God always gives judgment, promises, then restoration. Okay? Why is that? Is it because the people are going to deserve it? No, not at all. He made an eternal covenant with the nation that he would preserve them, so he does. And we'll see how that plays out in the book of Zechariah, along with Old Testament history. So, he says, I'm going to send the Babylonians, they're going to whoop you. It's a good southern phrase, isn't it? southern Hebrew. They're going to get whooped, and they're going to be hauled off to Babylon, all right? So, now Jerusalem is gone and burned. And man, the atrocities there, oh man. You know, they even ate their kids. They were starving so bad as the city was surrounded. So, now we know they're going to go into exile, right? That was the deal. Look what happened to the northern Ted tribes. You guys in the south, you won't listen to the prophets. I'm going to take you off the land, go all the way back to Deuteronomy 4, right? When you mess up, mess up's too nice of a word. When you sin, when you act corruptly, you will perish from the land. So, around 609 B.C., and you can read about this in the kings. The king, the Pharaoh was coming up into Jerusalem and into Judah wreaking havoc. So there's a, those are warning signs. Even the king of Egypt is coming up and doing harm in Judah. You can read about that in First and Second Kings. So in 609 B.C., the king of Egypt, he wants to have world dominance. He goes all the way north to a city called Carchemish. Can you all see that? Yes, no, maybe? Well, you can move up if you can, right? <laughs> or move back and look that way. <laughs> so in 605, Nebuchadnezzar has taken Nineveh. Nineveh, the Assyrians, they go to Carchemish to battle. And Uncle Neb, I call him Uncle Neb because I think he's in heaven, Nebuchadnezzar. He goes to Carchemish. By the way, you can read about this in history books. Battle of Carchemish. So Nebuchadnezzar goes up there. He whoops the Assyrians. He whoops the Egyptians. Now he's the world power. All right? And what does he do? He goes down in Jerusalem. And he goes into Israel. And he starts tearing down cities. He starts taking captives. And guess who his first captive is? Daniel. So... In 605 B.C., Daniel's hauled to Babylon. He and a few others, maybe a couple dozen, some say 70, are these really smart, good-looking, handsome guys that he could use in his palace and his government and his parliament and administration. So Daniel goes in 605. Then, about 11 years later, Ezekiel and 10,000 more are deported. According to the promise, you act bad, I'm taking you out. Then, I think it's eight years later, the rest are hauled to Babylon. All right? So it looks like this. In 605, Daniel goes. 597, Ezekiel goes. 586, the temples burn and the rest go. By the way, does everybody have my notes? Yes? All right, if you don't, uh, Wendell will hand them out. We need a couple up here. Up here in the front, I th some hands went up here. Okay. So that's over about a 20-year period. The land has been, de uh, uh, all the people have been deported, and it remains pretty much empty and burned up and destroyed. Now, listen to Jeremiah. Are you following this train? All right, I think it's really important to get a grasp on this Old Testament history before we launch into Zechariah, because he's going to refer to it, all right? So look at this in Jeremiah 25. You can just listen, okay? Jeremiah 25, verse 11. The whole land will be desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Uh-huh. It's like mommy and daddy saying, I'm going to punish you at 70 whoopings, 70 licks. All right? Or in today's world, 70 timeouts. 
but <laughs> Jeremiah 25, 12. It will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish Babylon for their iniquity. Ooh. Jeremiah 29, 10. Thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you. Aha. I'm going to destroy you. Ah, but not totally. Because in 70 years, I'm going to destroy Babylon and you can come home. Maybe, just maybe, they'll learn a lesson being in Babylon for 70 years under house arrest. You think? They don't. As a matter of fact, they got even worse. When you read Ezekiel, the first part, the first group of Jews that went to Babylon were telling Ezekiel, no big deal, boss. The bus will be here in a minute. God's not going to leave us here. We'll go back. They are stiff-necked, rock forehead, stubborn. While they're in jail, so to speak, in Babylon, they're saying, we're not so bad. Our fathers back in Jerusalem, they're not so bad. So Ezekiel is transported to Jerusalem to see the atrocities in a vision. And what he sees, the priests are worshiping idols in the temple. And yet their children are in Babylon, or the nation, and they're going, oh, our, our priests are pretty good. It's not so bad over there. Oh, my goodness. you got to get a grasp on this. Okay? So, they're going to go to captivity. But here's the good thing. After 70 years, guess what happened? Look at this. There are three returns. In 538 B.C., Zerubbabel brings a group to Jerusalem. Where do we read about that? Mark's been preaching on Ezra and Nehemiah. That's the return. What's going to happen in the land when they return? And then a few years later, in, uh, in uh, 458 B.C., Ezra brings a group. And then after him, Nehemiah comes in 445 with yet another group to rebuild the walls. Did you see how that worked? Is God a covenant-keeping God? Is he a promise-keeper? To the very day. I'm going to take you off the land. Three deportations. I'm going to bring you back. Three returns. Wow. And guess what? Jeremiah said it three times. I'll bring you back in 25, uh, in 70 years, in Jeremiah 25. So just as the Lord declares blessings, he declares judgments, and they all come true. So Second Chronicles, at the end of the Old Testament, chronologically, chapter 36, and Ezra chapter 1 contain the same exact verses. Remember that in your study of Ezra. And it's when Cyrus allows the Jews to return home. It's recorded at the end of the Old Testament, chronologically, and in Ezra. So, while they were in Babylon for 11, 12 years, Ezekiel sees the glory of the Lord. Remember I told you he was transported back to Jerusalem in a vision? Ezekiel watches the glory of the Lord depart from the temple. That must have been hard for him to see. All right. And then he has to come back and tell the old men, this is what's happening back at home. No way. We're God's people. <laughs> He'd never leave us. So, it seems pretty final, but yet God begins to bring him back. All right. 
Now, do you see your little handout? I got to run through this real quick. Look at your little handout. You see the dates, okay? I think they go like this. I already went over that, so I won't mess with those slides. All right. So, um, prophet, prophetic warnings. You can read those. Warnings, you're going to be taken captive. Returns, we just went over that. Daniel, Ezekiel, uh, I mean deportations. I just discussed that. Now look at the returns. In 538 B.C., 67 years after the temple was destroyed, Cyrus permits almost 50,000 to return. Guess who comes with him? In that group, I mean, in that group. Joshua, the high priest. So you got a guy named Joshua who's a priest, high priest. You got a guy named Zerubbabel who's going to be the governor of the territory for the Persians because the Persians have defeated the Babylonians. Then you have Zechariah who we're going to read. And probably Haggai comes with this group. You got it? So these four guys, the most important to us in our book, is going to be Zerubbabel, Zechariah, and Joshua. They're going to be main characters in the book, especially Zerubbabel. Now, the altar was built, rebuilt in 537. The foundations of the temple, are you following along here? In your little, it looks like this. Okay, you have it in front of you. The foundations of the temple were laid in April, May of 536, exactly 70 years after the destruction of the temple, to the year. Right? And this ends the captivity officially. Work on the temple started, the foundations are there, and then they start to work on the temple. All right, but here's the big problem. Circle this on that little outline I gave you, okay? 520, 535 to 520, 16 years roughly. Hardship and oppression caused the work on the temple to cease for 16 years. A lot of construction starts that way, right? Boom, we got the foundation. We ran out of money. We're tired. Let's go home. But that wasn't the problem. There was turmoil within. There was turmoil from the outside. You know, the neighbors were throwing rocks, causing trouble. And they just got depressed. And they stopped working on the temple. Okay? And then I have other information for you there. Skip down to 520. Haggai preaches his first sermon. All right? So you got these people... Standing in rubble, just they finished the foundations, they have an altar, and they are just gave up. This ain't worth it. You remember Solomon's temple? How big and beautiful? What are we doing this for? This is a joke. They think it's a joke. And they give up. By the way, the land was ruined. You know they had to pay people to move back to Jerusalem? They did. That was in Ezra and Nehemiah, wasn't it? They had to pay people to move back there. They didn't want to go. The city was so ruined. So now Haggai gets up on this mound of rubble, and his message is rebuild this thing. All right? So let, let's just look at this. And Zerubbabel, he's saying the same thing. He's laid the foundations of the temple. He's kind of the contractor of the deal. All right? So, notice this. Haggai and Zechariah are prophesying at the exact same time, standing in the exact same place. Watch this. And I have the dates for you on your chart, okay? Haggai preaches a sermon, his second sermon, his third, his fourth, and then... Enter Zechariah. So within a month, they're both standing on the same heap of rocks preaching to the people. 
get off your chair <laughs> and start working. Haggai's message is build, build, build. Get the building right. Zechariah's message is get your heart right. So two prophets preaching at the same time. Here, I know we're studying Zechariah, but read. Both these guys are preaching simultaneous. Listen to Haggai's words. In the second year of Darius the king, and then you got the chart there that tells you the date there in 520. On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, to uh, the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, he's the contractor, okay, and to Joshua the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord, this people says, The time has not come, even time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. We just can't do it. You see that? You got you to read the Bible with some emphasis. All right? <laughs> it's not time. <laughs> There's all kind of enemies. So the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for yourselves to dwell on your own paneled houses while the house lies desolate? You got your houses here. You work on your own and you finish it and you put a nice panel in it and a chandelier, yet the house of the Lord remains desolate. What's wrong with your priorities, people? All right? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Ooh, that's where it comes from. You ever heard that? Consider your ways right here. You have so much, but the harvest is little. You eat, but there's nothing to eat. In other words, you know, look around you. The crops aren't even doing well because you're not obeying. Okay? So that's Haggai's first sermon. And I skipped a lot for time's sake, but then he gives... Another sermon. And verse, well, excuse me, verse 12 gives the response to the sermon. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, this is a good part. What did they do? Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God in the words of Haggai. For the Lord had sent him, and the people showed reverence for the Lord. Guess what they did? They started rebuilding again. That's good. That's a good thing. When Haggai got up, whenever he spoke that sermon, they said, you're right. So they obeyed. Now, verse 13 is Haggai's short but second sermon. And he says this, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. You see that? I have it in red. So that's his second sermon. God's with you. This is good. This is good. The prophets are doing the Lord's work, and they are his mouthpiece, and the people respond. Verse 14 and 15 tells the Lord's response to Haggai's sermon, as well as the people's repentance. Listen. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord their God. Yes, two good sermons, two good responses. They began to work on the house of the Lord. Then one month later, all right, on, um, let me see if I have it. Yeah, one month later, on October 17th of 520, Haggai preaches another sermon. Speak now to Zerubbabel and to Joshua and to the remnant of the people, and says, Who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? There were older people that had seen Solomon's temple. And now they're working on this little teeny block house. Okay? And how do you see it now? Does it seem to you like nothing in comparison? Well, yes. It's like we came from the... What's the Taj Mahal? And we're working on an outhouse. In comparison. But this is God's house. Okay? They remember all the gold. The older ones remember all the gold. Now they go, oh, we can't even get this thing done. 
So along the way, while they begin rebuilding, these prophets are still pounding home, don't stop working, don't stop working. All right? So he says, now, take courage, Zerubbabel. Take courage, Joshua. You've got to remember this. They're the two main characters in the book, Joshua and Zerubbabel. As for the promise which I made when I brought you out of Egypt. You see how far back that goes? My spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. Once, all right, everybody, watch this. Are you with me? Please, right here. Are, are you in the passage yet? Are you in the background? Are you standing there holding a brick? Wondering why are we doing this? Watch. Once more, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I'll shake the nations and they will come with the wealth of the, of the nations and I will finish and I will fill this house with my glory. Holy smokes. God is telling the people, you work on this house. Because one day I'm going to take the nations, hold them up by the heels, shake them, and all the money will come out of their pockets, and they're going to bring it to Jerusalem, and I'm going to fill the house with glory. Hmm. Okay. I'll start working on the house. <laughs> God's coming back here. That's why we've got to finish it. God's coming back here. And the wealth of all the nations are going to come. Okay. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former glory. And in this place, I will give peace. Did you just see that? There was Solomon's temple filled with God's glory, with gold and everything. Now they're working on a little brick building in the same spot. And they're wondering, what? And God says, I'm going to bring all the gold here. Don't worry. And a matter of fact, I'm coming and I'm going to fill this place with my glory. All right. <laughs> That's good motivation. Bing, bing. Let's work. Okay. You have to know this, brothers and sisters. It's the background to where Zechariah is going to preach. So we spend one night on background. Now, after Haggai preaches this sermon, guess who shows up to preach? Zechariah, and he preaches Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1 through 6, all right, which we will look at in just a minute. Then Haggai preaches another sermon. See, Zechariah preaches in between Haggai's, what, fourth and fifth sermons. So here's Haggai's fourth sermon. Listen to this. Uh, the word of the Lord came to him a second time and he says now let me, let me see Haggai standing there the people are all there the ones who are in Jerusalem working on the temple Zerubbabel's the governor Joshua's the high priest so he speaks to both of them and when so doing all the people are addressed got it it's like somebody speaking to the elders, but at the same time, it applies to the old church. Speaking to Joshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel, the governor. Listen to this for a second time. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the thrones of the kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. This is the second coming <laughs> right here. And I will overthrow the chariots. Am I on the right page? I don't even know where I am. Oh, I see. Yes, I will throw, overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders. They will go down, everyone by the sword. And on that day, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shealtiel, and I will make you a signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is how good it gets. Not only am I going to rebuild the temple, but when the children of Israel are gone, 
What about the Davidic line? Is it gone? Guess what? No. Zerubbabel's in the Davidic line. He is the only one mentioned in both Matthew and Luke. Twice. Because God didn't forget. He's got to keep the messianic line. So he tells Haggai, don't worry. Zerubbabel is the signet ring. The messianic line is intact. So build this house and I'll return and fill it with glory. Okay? So even Jesus' genealogy is affirmed and set here at the end of the Old Testament. It's amazing, isn't it? That's why I tell people, the older I get, the more I read the Bible. You can't make it up. This has to be God's word. There's no supercomputer anywhere. I was telling Mike early this morning. No supercomputer that can cut and paste all this, and it works perfect. Matthew and Mark pick this up and apply the genealogy back to Zerubbabel. Amazing. Okay? Any questions? <laughs> You see the background? Haggai's preaching. Zachariah's preaching. Who are the main characters? Zerubbabel is the governor. Joshua is the high priest. And then you have the remnant of people working on the building, which doesn't look anything like Solomon's. But God's coming to that temple. That little thing they're working on, God is going to fill it with glory. And he's going to shake the nations in the last day. And all the wealth of the nations will come to Jerusalem. All right? Now, you can open to chapter 1, verse 1 of Zechariah. We'll do these first six verses rather quickly. It's an opening to the book. You can now picture Zechariah standing on the... Uh, Temple Mount there. Where did I have those little pictures there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, something like this, right? They're standing there, and he's preaching to the people. So I have an outline for you on the back page of the first six verses, which looks like this. All right? The words in red are the words from the text. The words in black are not inspired. Those are mine. <laughs> All right? So let's just look at this short, powerful sermon in about five or ten minutes. You, can we do that? You ready? Okay. In the eighth month, on the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, saying, so there's the introduction, the biblical introduction. I gave you the whole Bible introduction, kind of the background. So... Um, this is an intense, intense sermon. You can see the time of it, which is on your timesheet I gave you. If you flip it back over, this is 520 B.C., okay? Zechariah means Jehovah remembers. It's a great name, right, for this book because they think he's forgotten them. They're standing there in a pile of burnt rocks. How are we going to rebuild it? God remembers. You ever think God forgot you? God remembers. Just say Zechariah in your prayer. God, Zechariah, you remember, you remember. The nation's protection, prosperity in the future lies solely in the faithfulness and the remembrance of God and his covenants. He's referred to as the son of Berkiah in chapter 1, verse 1, and even in verse 7. Now, um, he came with Nehemiah. We read that, and I, listen to this. Nehemiah 12, verse 4. Zerubbabel came, Joshua, there, that's Joshua. There's a bunch of people listed in Nehemiah 12. And then it, all says, it also says, Idu came, or Ido, and these were the heads of the priests and their kinsmen. Guess what? That means Zechariah is not only a prophet, he's a priest. His grandpa was a priest. Berechiah probably died, and Idu raised him. Okay? Now, 
Nehemiah 12, 16. The priests and their households were Iddo and Zechariah. He's even mentioned in Nehemiah. Okay? So he's of the tribe of Levi and the priestly line of Aaron. He has special interest in the temple. See that? A priest would care what's going on in the temple. And this one's not even finished yet. All right? So, Berechiah is included here. He may have died at a young age, and Zerechiah being raised by Idu, his grandfather. All right? Now, there's another thing that comes up. In Matthew, Jesus says that the Jews are guilty of all the prophets from Abel to Zechariah. Remember reading that? That's this one. Some people say it's another Zechariah, but he lived too far back. And if it's this Zechariah, it's closing the Old Testament. All right? And Jesus said he was stoned at the temple. So that's what happened to this guy. After we read about his sermons and all that, He's going to get stoned. The people never change, do they? Never change. So, the eighth month of Darius 520. Look at the riches of Zechariah's ministry. The longest of the 12 books, prophetic passages, quoted many times in the New Testament. I gave you a whole bunch of quotes on your sheet, your handout. How many times is quoted in Revelation? And the Messianic prophecies. The word Lord of hosts, I mean, in eschatology, is used all over the place. Three times alone in the first three verses, you have the Lord of hosts. So he is really speaking for the Lord. Nine times in Zechariah, he says, The Lord dwells among his people, and he will in the future. Jerusalem is referred to 44 times in the book. Wow. So he cares about the city. He cares about the temple. He cares about the Messiah, the branch, the headstone, the stone, the king, the cornerstone. All of those prophecies about the coming Messiah are in this book. One day God is going to purify Israel and he will build that temple. In the meantime, they need to work on it and be obedient. That is the point. In that day, in that day, in that day. That means way out in the future. 22 times in Zechariah. Here's my point. These prophets are saying, work on this house, work on this house, because in that day, in that day, in that day, Messiah is coming. And he's going to sit in this house. They've got to believe it. They just have to believe it. And that's the point. And we need to believe it. We need to believe it. All right? It's not just enough to build the temple. They've got to get their hearts right. And that's what Zechariah is going to hone in on. Now look at verse 2. The Lord was a little bit angry. Does it say that? Very angry. By the way, it's the same Hebrew word twice. He was angry, angry. Okay? He was seriously angry. Doubly angry for their sin. It's just horrible. It shouldn't have had to have been that way. His indignation. We read about that all in the Old Testament, how holy he is and, and how he needs to be revered and obeyed and worshipped. He is red-nosed hot angry at these people. Verse 3. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts. There it is. He's the messenger of the Lord of the armies. That's what Lord of hosts means. He's over all the angelic armies. And look what he says to them. Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Remember I told you they were still having to pay people to move in from the countryside to live in Jerusalem? Which means they just simply will not trust the Lord. And they've abandoned him and they don't care for him. They're not obeying his laws. And God is sitting there going, I'm going to fill this house with glory. Please return to me. Please return to me. Man, I have so many cross-references on verses that talk about returning to the Lord. That's repentance, right? You're going this way away from God. You turn around, you've got to go back and embrace God. 
love him and do his things. All the prophets say this, return to me, return to me. They're broken record players. They're the law policemen. Woo, 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 you broke the law, return to God. Okay? And the key words in that phrase are, to me. You don't just stop sinning. You return to God. That's a full repentance. To me. Notice, you can see the compassion oozing out of God. Return to me that I may return to you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now picture this. There's rubbles on the pile of rocks. Speaking to, I mean, Zechariah, speaking to Joshua and Zerubbabel and the people. Please, please return to me, says the Lord, the, so that I can return to you. And it reminds you of Second Chronicles, right? 714, if my people call by my name, turn from their wicked ways, man, and humble themselves, then I will hear and I will bless them and turn to them. Jeremiah 29, call upon the Lord, pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will hear. And they just didn't. They just didn't. Malachi, a hundred years later, as he closes off the Old Testament, return to me and I will return to you. Did you know that? That's in Malachi, Malachi, the Italian prophet. I'm just trying to keep you awake. Okay. Proverbs 29.1, a man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. Come on, just turn to the Lord, just turn to him. Many others. To whom, watch this. To whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, Thus said the Lord of hosts, Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. So Zechariah wasn't the first guy to say this. All the prophets said it. Return to me, return to me, so that I can return to you. Habakkuk and Jeremiah are preaching the same thing, were preaching the same thing back in Jerusalem. The same words, Habakkuk and Jeremiah, return to me and I'll return to you. And they wouldn't listen. Second Chronicles 30, O sons of Israel, return to the Lord. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers. For the Lord is gracious, compassionate, will not turn his face away from you if you turn to him. That's Second Chronicles. I always tell people when I teach, there's nothing new in the Bible. It's the same thing over and, said over and over, just a different way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's what this is. Return to me. <laughs> it's the history of people who don't return. And it's the history of some that do. Hopefully that's us. Now, verse 5. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. But um, to whom your former prophets proclaimed. All right. Now. But they did not listen or give heed to me. And I just talked about that. The whole Old Testament was their fathers did not return to the Lord and listen. Now, in this point, probably the people are revering their forefathers. Oh, our fathers were great. We're not so great. We're over here. <laughs> Things aren't going well. So that's why the Lord, through Zechariah, is saying, hey, your fathers didn't even listen. All right? Verse 5, your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? What's the point, brothers and sisters? Where are their fathers? Dead. They're pushing up daisies. They're chewing dust. So are the prophets. The point is, you ain't got all day. You, you might not have another year. You might not have another two years. You may die. Your fathers, they heard the prophets. Where are they? Been buried. Ay, ay, ay. You want to be like them? Don't return. Do they live forever? No. And you don't either. 
So repent. This, by the way, this is just his first sermon. <laughs> Standing on the rocks. Okay? Verse 6, our last verse. But did not my words and my statutes which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Oh, yes, they did. You know, God's word is racing right behind us. And eventually, it overtakes us. See? The old fathers in Jerusalem, you know, the kings and the guys who thought, and the priests who thought they were really good and holy, they weren't. And they weren't listening to God's word. And God's word is just like a predator. And eventually, it overtook them. And where did they end up? Dead and in Babylon. You can't run from God. You can't run from his prophets. You can't run from his word. Neither can I. So where are they? They're dead. They're gone. They've been overtaken. Did not my words overtake the servants? I, I mean, the words of my servants overtake your fathers? Of course they did. Look at verse 6, and we'll close with this. I'm not like Mark finishing right on time. I'll probably get fired after tonight. But anyway, look at this. Verse 6. Then they repented. Whew! They heard it. The people believed. As the Lord of hosts purposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. Guess what? At least the remnant listening got it. God did chase down our fathers. His word did come true. Look, here we are in Babylon. We're, I mean, we were in Babylon. Now we're back here in a bunch of rubble, just like he said would happen. So, God is faithful. His word is like a hound dog. Right? It doesn't return void. That's just the same way. It's just another way of saying it. His word does not return void. God's promised. God promised he would change if they would change. Now they repent. And they start work on the temple again. Okay? Remember, for 16 years, they had stopped working on God's house. So Haggai and Zechariah get up and preach these marvelous sermons. And they repent. And they start working on the house. Listen to Leviticus. I mean, listen to Leviticus. That's way, way back. Verse chapter 26. If they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their unfaithfulness, which they committed against me and all their acting hostile against me, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember also my covenant with Isaac and Abraham as well and I will remember Israel. That's in Leviticus. The word Zechariah means God remembers. He remembered the covenant and when they return to him, guess what? He's going to return to them. When they return to him, he'll return to them. Yet, this is Leviticus way, way back. Yet, in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God, but I will remember the covenant I made with their ancestors. You get that? This is all God's work. He punished them. He brings them back. They get discouraged. They stop working on the temple. They're like, why are we here? The grass isn't growing. The rocks are, you know, they just don't look good. It's not going to be like Solomon's. What? <laughs> get to work. Get your heart right. Remember God's covenant. Return to him. He'll return to you. Quit sinning. Quit complaining. Work on the house. Do God's business. He'll return to you. And not only that, he'll fill the house with glory and bring all the loose change in the world to it. And the people repented. And next week, Zechariah is going to give them seven visions about the future. How good it's going to get for them.
Okay? Thanks for your patience. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Zechariah. Thank you that you remember your covenant with Israel, your covenant with us. You'll lose none of us. You'll keep us to the last day. Thank you for the prophets. Thank you most of all for the prophet Jesus who will fulfill all of this once and for all when he returns. In his name we pray, amen.